Hey everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Peak Mindset Podcast. I'm Jenna Hussein, a leadership coach and the founder of the coaching practice Peak Mindset. Here at Peak Mindset, we help people to unlock their full potential in leadership so that they can reach new heights in their personal and professional lives. This podcast is designed for anyone who's passionate about personal and professional development. We have candid and vulnerable chats with some of the world's greatest coaches who share their coaching playbooks and speak about the most pivotal moments in their own lives. We also learn about the impact of coaching from the perspective of people who have achieved extraordinary things in entrepreneurship, athletics, academics, social impact, and other fields. It's such an honor to have my former classmate and great friend, Shawan Jackson, as our guest on our very first episode. And for those of you who haven't yet had the pleasure of meeting Shawan, I'll give you some background about him. Shawan's the founder and CEO of Vocal Justice, which is a nonprofit that helps black and brown students in the U.S. to become leaders for social change. Since 2019, Vocal Justice has engaged over 1,500 youth in their programs across 17 states. Shawan grew up in University Park, a suburb of Chicago, and graduated from Princeton University in 2015, where he was the student body president. He was then a Princeton in Latin America fellow, where he worked at an education nonprofit in the Dominican Republic before joining Deloitte Consulting as an analyst. And in 2018, he began the three-year dual master's degree program at Stanford Business School and Harvard Kennedy School, and graduated with an MBA and MPP in 2021. At Stanford, Shawan received the Competitive Impact Fellowship, which he used to start Vocal Justice. And just a couple months ago, he was named to the Forbes 30 Under 30 in the education category for 2023. On a more personal note, Shawan and I were classmates in the dual degree program between Stanford and Harvard, and at one point we were even neighbors on the Stanford campus. Shawan is truly one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, and he's always willing to lend a helping hand. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you on the podcast, Shawan, especially as our first guest. Welcome. Oh, thank you. You're so kind. I'm cheesing so hard right now for all of our listeners because Jenna is such a gem and I am so excited to see where this podcast goes and how it's going to help so many people think about their own personal and professional development. So thank you for having me. Oh, thank you, Shawan. It's it's such a pleasure to have you. Um, so today I'm super excited to get dig into some topics um, related to vocal justice and coaching. And I'd love if we can start off by you telling me a little bit about the impact that vocal justice is having. Yes. Uh, so at Vocal Justice, what we're really interested in is helping youth who are proximate to injustice become leaders for social change. And when we think about youth who are proximate to injustice, we're thinking about those who identify as Black and Brown, those who come from resource-constrained communities, LGBTQ youth, and others who have been impacted by systems of oppression. And with that mission, I'm really grateful that we've been able to touch so many young people across the country. We have 35 teachers this school year who we're training and compensating to take a leadership development curriculum we created and integrate it within their schools. And this curriculum is focused on social justice and storytelling. 
And through that work and previous programs, we've been able to touch thousands of students across the country. And our hope is that we can use these learnings from our direct service work to engage in policy advocacy with young people in the future to redesign what education looks like so that it's really centered on helping them become leaders for social change and developing their authentic voice to speak for a more just world. I love that, Shawan. I really can't imagine a more powerful tool for social change than helping young people to find their voice and realize what they're capable of. So that's truly amazing. I'm curious how you find and identify the students that can can benefit the most from your program. Mm-hmm. We think a lot about equity and making sure that we're finding young people who wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity like this. So what that means for us tactically is we identify teachers who work in Title I or low-income schools where the majority of students are on free or reduced lunch, and we ask them transparently what opportunities they already have at their schools when it comes to civic engagement and leadership programs that are similar to vocal justice. And then based on that and readiness that a teacher has to facilitate our curriculum, we choose a cohort of teachers from across the country to bring our curriculum to their students. And we really focus on working with students who are not your quote unquote high achieving students. We know that every young person, whether or not you're a a good student, if you will, or not, has the potential to be an incredible leader. And so we make sure that with our teachers, they're working with students who might not already be tapped as a promising leader because we want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to build the power of their voice. I love that. It's such a thoughtful approach. And what inspired you to build this? (laughs) My, My passion for this comes from my own experiences growing up. And for me, it starts when I was six years old. I remember I got off the school bus, had my little book bag on. Book bag was probably about half my size. I was a tiny <laughs> And I was walking down the hallway, and then my principal, a black woman, Principal um, Sharifa, pulled me into her office and said, um, I want to talk to you. And I freaked out. I was the goody two-shoe kid. I thought I was in trouble. And... She said, I want you to deliver a poem for Black History Month. And I got so excited. I said, yes, I would love to do it. I didn't really understand what the moment meant, but I felt honored to be asked to to speak up in this way. And looking back that moment of delivering this poem in front of hundreds of people at my local community college helped me to feel confident in my voice as a young Black boy. And I contrast that to an experience I had in college when my friends and I were co-teaching a public speaking course at a youth correctional facility in New Jersey. And one of my students, a young black man, when we were preparing his final presentation said, I don't think I have a story to tell. And it broke my heart. I was sitting in this classroom thinking about the incredible insight he has based on his experiences with injustice and how important it is for people to hear that. And because the world you know, tells us that our voices do not matter if we hold marginalized identities. He didn't feel confident in his voice, and that really broke my heart. And so when I thought about the experience that I had feeling confident in my voice from my principal and other experiences and how other people, unfortunately, do not have opportunities to recognize that power, it got me really excited about how we can create learning conditions where every young person is able to recognize the power of their voice and use it for social justice. I love that, Shawan, and I completely agree with you in that I think everyone has a story to tell, right? Like 
everyone has their own life experiences. And especially in this polarized society that we're living in, I think one of the key ways that we can build bridges among different groups is to just share our stories with one another and realize how how relatable we all are. Um, and I think that there it, it, it inspires us to to want to support one another and to be kinder to one another. And so I see this as such a powerful tool, especially to give youth at, at a young age um, to really help them in their lives and, and help them discover the impact that they can have. So yes. so that's it's truly amazing. Um, I want to ask you out of all the impact that you're having in, in vocal justice, what is most meaningful to you? Mm. It's hard to distill it just to one, Jenna. It's a tricky question. Um, I think, I think what's most meaningful to me is that, well, can I give two answers? I have two answers to mind. Um, so I think the first thing that's most meaningful to me is that we are creating a movement of educators and young people who are talking about the importance of speaking up for social justice. So it's not just, I'm gonna be in a leadership development program and I am going to learn how to speak effectively about my story and the issues that I care about. But you see this ripple effect where people are saying, I recognize how important this program is. and I'm going to share it with another student. I'm going to share it with another teacher. I'm going to share it with my school leaders. And I get so energized when our teachers are telling me, hey, I'm, I'm telling other teachers in our community about this program or, hey, I'm reaching out because my district is interested in learning about this opportunity and doing youth voice work. And seeing, you know, that ripple effect is really exciting to me. The, the other piece that's really meaningful to me is the youth leadership work that we're able to have directly within our organization. We just launched our Youth Advisory Council of nine young people across the country, ages about 14 to 19. And they are guiding our strategic direction and helping us think through what our program should look like, our budget, our operation. And having young people actually be a part of that conversation and not just surveying them and then saying, we're going to really do what we want to as adults, but really engaging in co-decision making is something really exciting to me. It's, it's still relatively new, um, just putting it together over the last couple of months, but we're really committing to sharing power with young people and seeing us be able to live out that value internally. The same one that we encourage our communities to live out at their schools is really, really exciting to me. Shawan, I find that so inspiring and so thoughtful. Like, I I wouldn't expect anything less from you, but I think it's particularly thoughtful that you're involving the very same youth who are benefiting from this program in the very design of the program. And I think there's a lot that other programs can learn from that because, um, you know, ultimately we can benefit a lot by talking to the beneficiaries of our work and learning, you know, what is it that they want? What is it that they need rather than making assumptions? So that's beautiful. And I didn't even realize that there was a, a momentum and kind of a movement around this. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled for you that, that it's having that kind of impact and it's not just 
um, strictly to the program and what happens within the walls of the program. It's it's really something that that has legs and is growing beyond that. So that's really wonderful. Thank you. Um, I'm so excited about our Youth Advisory Council. And selfishly, it's also really nice for for me to stay connected to young people that we're working with because in my role now leading the organization, I don't do a lot of that day-to-day programming. And so it's really special that I get to be in community with incredible youth leaders. They're a really funny crew too, with a lot of sharp insights. And so I'm super excited to see what we'll be able to achieve together. That's great. I'm sure you've been learning a lot about these young people throughout the course of the program. And I'm also curious about what you've learned about yourself in the creation of building the creation of vocal justice and building vocal justice. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. There is so much. So I'll um, just share a few, a few highlights that, that are coming to mind. The first thing that I've learned throughout this process um, is that community really, really matters. And I think, you know, a lot of folks know on paper that you can't do it alone and you have to have a team Um, but it really hit home for me when I started bringing our teachers together and when I started building my team, because initially I was doing vocal justice largely by myself. I had, you know, supporters who were giving me advice and such, but, um, I was running the programs myself in the classroom, writing the curriculum, doing the surveys. And once we transitioned to training teachers and once we transitioned to building a team, I just realized how much more of an impact we could have when we were involving so many different voices. And the community piece I've also realized matters, not just in terms of having a team of folks who are advancing your mission, but really building authentic human connections just as people with each other. And mm-hmm. the reason I bring that up is because it's not just about, oh, you know, you do part of the part of the work and I'll do part of the work and then we're going to be great. It's, no, how do we actually support each other as individuals, given how taxing this work is? Like we are fighting an uphill battle. And so to really have connections with other folks who can be there with you when you need to cry, who can laugh with you, who can remind you of your value is necessary in order to do the the really daunting tasks of daunting task of trying to revamp how the world functions. So the community piece is a really big lesson. And then I would say the um, the other big lesson for me has been um, being open to, or that I've learned about myself is that it's really important to be open to ways of impact that you didn't initially think of when you started out on your work. And I bring that up because when I was initially thinking about vocal justice, I was thinking a lot about future leadership um, that our young people might pursue. And the more we engaged in the work, the more I learned from partner organizations, seeing what our young people are doing, that we're really having an impact on their leadership today and what they're able to do now. Um, And that wasn't something that I, I thought about initially. And so being able to kind of adjust how I think about the impact of our work has been important for me as opposed to just saying, oh, no, I'm going to be steadfast about what I think the impact is based on my initial conception of the idea. Right. Wow. That's so powerful. What an incredible journey to be on, especially right after graduating from your master's. And um, I can't help but, but notice, you know, it's not a very common path. Uh, for business school graduates to go on and start a nonprofit. And I really commend you for doing that. 
I wish it was more common. Um, but given that this is the path that you've decided on, I'm curious what values of yours have informed this decision and mm -hmm. have informed the building of vocal justice? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of my biggest values um, is around justice. And that framework to me is really focused on making sure that we have an allocation of resources for all individuals in the world to pursue a life that's going to allow them to pursue their passions, build community with other folks, protect the planet. And we are very far from that world right now. And so when I thought about the opportunities that I've had in life and the privilege that I've acquired through my education, I felt an obligation to help to build a world where we can get closer to justice, where we can get closer to a world where everyone has what they need to thrive as individuals and as members of a community and of the planet. And that was a non-negotiable for me. I really think about that mantra to whom much is given, much is expected. And I, I think we've been given a lot. I've been able to go to some incredible schools. I've met wonderful people like you, Jenna, and to not use those opportunities to address some of the problems I saw firsthand growing up or have heard about seemed like such a, a missed opportunity. So that was um, probably the biggest driving driving force behind this is just that orientation around around justice and that recognition of the blessings that I've had throughout my life to do something about that. Wow. That is really inspiring, Shawan. Uh, I'm really, really in awe of you. And you're somebody who I've just been watching ever since you graduated and, and feeling so excited for you to be on this journey. And just hearing you talk about vocal justice, I can hear the excitement in your voice and it makes me feel even more excited for you. So I'm, I'm so happy for you and, and I'm excited for the continued impact that you'll have. What is your dream for vocal justice? My dream for vocal justice is that we are no longer needed. And what I mean by that is we live in a world where every young person has access to an education that builds their leadership capacity to address social injustices. And ultimately, we live in a world where everyone is free, where we don't even have to worry about tackling any injustices. And that latter world is very far off, but I think at the very least we can create opportunities for young people to strengthen their capacity to tackle a lot of the injustices that we see today. And if that work starts to happen organically within schools, within communities, then vocal justice will no longer be needed to fill that gap that we see right now. And so to get there, I'm really excited about how we can work with the very young people who go through our vocal justice program to redesign curriculum standards, teacher training programs, funding allocations, so that every school in the United States is intentionally developing the leadership capacity of their students to be social change makers, especially young people who are most proximate to injustice. And I, I can see that world happening one day. I know it's going to be so hard to get there, but really changing how the system functions is, I think, the only way to really address um, the root cause of the problem that we see right now, which is that too many young people who are proximate to injustice do not get that opportunity in terms of their education. And it's only if you really change how the entire system functions that you can make meaningful 
long-term sustainable impact. Absolutely. No, I mean, it's definitely an ambitious goal, Shawan, but I love seeing you take concrete steps towards it through this organization. And I think that's what's exciting. And sometimes we can get so caught up maybe thinking about how how far off maybe the dream might be. Um, but celebrating the wins along the way is also important. And you've already had so many of those. So very happy for you in that. Thank you. Yeah, the, the dream is big and it is um, not going to be something that I necessarily see in my lifetime. And it is still something that I, I truly do believe we can achieve, like we in the, the broadest sense in terms of the people who are around today, the people who will come after us, building on the work that was done even before we got here. And that's what keeps me hopeful is knowing that, to your point, that we do see progress every day. It's not always linear, right? But if we, we take a step back and think about our trajectory, it's moving in the right, the right direction, I think. And that's what keeps me hopeful. And if you don't have hope, you... You don't have anything really. So um, I appreciate you saying that because the hope is what's keeping me going. Amazing. And I think something that we've learned throughout our dual degree program is that in order to have change in these these big areas, you really need to to address it from multiple angles. And so I'm wondering what you see the private sector or the public sector role being in addressing this problem in addition to the nonprofit angle. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that's that's such a good point. And it's reminding me of some conversations we've been having at Vocal Justice in terms of the work with our young people and thinking about how they can become social change leaders in many different areas, right? There's not one way to do it because it, it's really got to be all hands on deck given how much work we got to do in the world. So what I, I view in terms of what the private and public sectors can do, I think in terms of the, the private sector, there are two pieces that come to my mind. One is around opportunities for young people to disrupt how industries function right now. And so if we think about a company, for example, it's, you know, really pushing back against this idea that when a young person comes in, they're just at the bottom of the pole and they got to follow all the rules. It's like, no, well, what if we thought differently about it to say, I'm actually going to create an opportunity for a young person to think differently about what our hiring process looks like or how we can design our organizational culture or whether or not our company should be speaking out on an issue and really providing that leadership opportunity to young people at um, at an age that you normally wouldn't, I think is so important so that they can practice their leadership, develop their leadership and start to make a change on a sector that does have an outsized impact on our world. The second piece that I think about with the private sector is around capital allocation. We, we know that a lot of companies, when they're successful in the markets, are um, have a lot of resources that they wield. And of course, some of that goes back to companies so that they continue innovating and creating products that we all want. And my push is to say, how do you also use some of that to invest in communities, to invest in individuals so that they too can build something great? So the opportunity piece around leadership for young people and then the capital piece are, are the two things that come to mind on the private sector front. The public sector, I think a lot about policy requirements that the government can have to make sure that this education is becoming the norm and that we're holding schools accountable to doing this work on their own. Nonprofits are filling so many gaps right now precisely because 
schools and other entities do not have to do something or they don't have the resources to do it well. And if the government can come in and say, no, we're actually stating that it is a priority for every school to have leadership opportunities for their young people, for every school to invest in mental health supports as young people are grappling with a lot of injustices firsthand, for every school to have the Youth Advisory Council where young people are guiding decision-making, that would help so much to really get at um, that systems change that I talked about earlier, where schools are really embodying the ethos that I think matters for education in terms of social justice, youth leadership, and shared decision-making between adults and young people. Right. No, it's definitely, there's definitely many different angles that this can be approached. And I, I hope that, that we do see that necessary investment and effort from the private and public sectors as well. Mm-hmm. Because I think that together, in combination with what the nonprofits are already doing, there's potential for even more impact. Exactly, exactly. Like everyone has a different position that they hold. And we have to ask ourselves always, no matter what my position is, what can I uniquely do from this vantage point to tackle a particular issue, right? And so um, I agree with you. Like the more people who are involved in this movement, the better, um, so long as there's intentionality about what your contribution is relative to the position that you you hold and really maximizing that. Absolutely. So switching gears a little bit, I'm curious what role mentorship and coaching has played in your life. Mm. Um, so much. I mean, so a lot of my mentorship and coaching started at a time when I didn't even understand what those words meant. I think back to my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Struther, who pulled me into the hallway one day and told me and another student that he wanted to nominate us for a leadership conference in DC. I was going to high school, going to middle school at the time in the, the suburbs of Chicago. And I was so excited about, about that opportunity and ended up going to DC, connecting with all of these incredible young people, feeling so excited about leadership and politics and change. And that was because I had an advocate, my sixth grade teacher, who saw my potential and and provided me with that opportunity, which is what, you know, coaches are um, really doing and, and mentors. And even during the earliest days with local justice, I had so many people who were providing input. One of my um, mentors was a professor of mine, Dr. Aaliyah Elamin. I took a class at Harvard's Ed School when I was at the Kennedy School. And I remember writing for my final project what the initial curriculum can look like for vocal justice. And I had all these ideas. And I was so excited to take that class because it was about um, preparing students to disrupt and dismantle racism, which was exactly what I thought vocal justice um, should be doing. And I remember getting her comments on my initial scope and sequence for the curriculum, and she had so many thoughtful pushes and questions to challenge how I thought about the design of the curriculum and how to frame particular questions, how to frame topics. Um, And that laid the framework for the vocal justice curriculum, that class. And so um, I'm very grateful to her too. And then once I started working on it full time, I've had so many coaches who have been affirming to me, who push me, who question me, who say, hey, Shawan, you just need to rest. And I have to give a special shout out to um, a coach of mine, Amanda Greco from uh, Stanford Business School, who I got connected to through their Center for Social Innovation. I remember one of our calls, she 
heard me talking about how I'm not doing great with my well-being and how I need to take care of myself more and how I'm not ordering enough groceries and cooking. And she said, do you just want to use our call to order groceries? And she, <laughs> she literally went on mute, Jenna, and said, I'm just going to give you 10 minutes, go on Instacart and order what you need. And then she would come off mute occasionally and say, hey, what about this? What about this dish? Like, could this be easy for you? And just having that space where she was really seeing that I needed help and um, to take care of myself and then, you know, being really tactical about how to support me, I'm, I'm forever indebted to her. So it's been a lifelong journey of, of mentorship and coaching from people who were investing in me before I even knew what formal mentorship was to people who um, don't just think about, you know, my professional and academic achievements, but also my personal well-being. And all of that has allowed me to continue this work because to our, our conversation earlier, you really can't do this alone. It's really a community of folks who are supporting you along the way. Shawan. And you know, what really stands out to me about this is that a lot of the impact that you spoke of isn't like something groundbreaking, you know, that only a few people in the world can do to support mm. someone. Mm. So it makes me think about like, what kind of impact can I have on the youth in my life or the people who matter to me in my life in small ways, maybe every day or maybe once a week? Um, supporting them or encouraging them to take up an opportunity, pointing them in the, re the direction of an opportunity, telling them that they can do something and kind of helping them feel empowered, or even doing what your coach at the GSB did is you hear someone complaining that they're not taking care of themselves, well, literally give them that time to take care of themselves. And so these are all super profound actions that don't take a lot of effort and, and can be done very easily. So, yes. so I, I'm, that's making me think a lot and, and I appreciate you sharing that. Yes. And in terms of taking care of mental health and in your uh, example, you know, making sure that you're cooking and, and ordering groceries is definitely a big challenge uh, for entrepreneurs in general, um, but it stretches beyond that. I'm a, I mean, I myself as a business school student oftentimes neglected taking care of myself and have done so in various points in my life and in my career. Um, and so I'm curious, what do you do to take care of your own mental health? I'm still working on that. <laughs> Um, what has been important to me though, is, um, one is sleep and I dream of the, the world when I can get eight hours consecutively every night. Um, but you know, when I'm at my best, I really try to force myself to be in bed 10, 10 30 to just unwind. And I know that there's, you know, research that says, uh, hours before midnight are much, you know, much more important than, than later. So trying to get into bed as, as early as possible has been important. Um, the, the other piece recently that I started doing is um, as I'm getting ready for bed, just trying to read a little bit, even if it were just a couple of pages. I was reading um, a book by Chris Anderson recently, the, found, um, the head, former head or maybe current head of, um, of TED, um, and just reading a couple of pages of that about communication, storytelling. Um, this helped me to, to relax a little bit. Um, and then breathing has also been really important for me. It's, um, a moment when I have to shout out my teammates who are so thoughtful when it comes to well-being. 
And we have a practice now at Vocal Justice where we began our team meetings with a grounding exercise. And a lot of those are breathing where we put on a video. Sometimes it's a headspace video. Sometimes it's um, a clip from TikTok. Sometimes it's, you know, just counting ourselves. And But taking that deep breath to just get grounded in the space has been so helpful for me. And now even before I do public speaking engagements or have a meeting with a big funder, um, I engage in that breathing myself to, to try to think about my, my mental well-being. So those are some of the big things. And then I love to dance. <laughs> so I spend a lot of time just dancing around my house too to keep my, my spirits high. Hip-hop and bachata are my favorite. Wait, Sean, I didn't know that you also dance bachata. Yes. Tenemos que bailar un día. Like we oh got, my God. Got I can't night. believe I, I lived next door to you for a year and didn't know this. Oh my God. Bachata all the time. Prince Royce, Romeo Santos. Uh, you know, some of my personal face. I always joke with people that Prince Royce is, you know, going to be my husband one day. But um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you never know. Maybe. You never know. Maybe. But um, yeah, I got really, I started learning it in college when I was in um, Honduras for a summer. And then when I was in the Dominican Republic after college, I did so much more bachata because, you know, that's where, that's where bachata started. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of fun dancing it there. And, um, I like to dance it just around my house when I go out whenever I can. I love that. Now, the next time I see you, we're definitely going to dance. And Without I love that you have so many different strategies that you've developed to take care of your mental health. And, I really relate with to, to what you said at the beginning, you know, it's it's definitely a journey and not a destination, right? It's yes. something that, um, you know, the ways that we take care of ourselves also changes as we change and evolve and as our needs change and evolve. And so yes. kind of staying nimble with that is important. Um, yes. And so I, I love that. It's something that you've also integrated with your team and that it sounds like your team also really values for, for themselves. And what a great like part of your culture, but also a way to support each other in this journey and recognizing that, you know, taking care of your own well-being is important. Exactly. Exactly. And I love what you said about it evolves as you do, right? Because... Um, what I do now to take care of myself does not look the same as what I needed when I was in college, right? Or even maybe a couple of years ago when I was in grad school. So constantly checking in with yourself and saying, what do I need in this moment is important. And the other thing related to that that I found is sometimes what you need for your mental health is not the same as what dominant culture says you should be doing, right? Like maybe just going out and dancing outside is what you need for your mental health. Maybe other times it is doing an hour of just deep breathing in the quiet by yourself. And you really have to push out the noise from what everybody says is the right way to take care of your mental health and ask yourself what, what really feels, feels good for you. Totally. I wonder how, how this has shown up in your team. So mm -hmm. You you are the leader of your team at work. So mm -hmm. how do you show up for others and how do you lead, I guess, this thinking around mental health and the culture of your company and and how you're going to go after chasing after these really ambitious goals? Yep. How do you show up in that? Yep. The first thing that I remind myself 
about who I am and who my team is, is that we are whole people. So when I'm thinking about conversations with our team about priorities, when I'm in a one-on-one with some of my direct reports, it's remembering that we have lives outside of vocal justice, beautiful as I know our mission is. I also know that we each hold our own priorities in addition to that. And when we're making decisions about our work or when I'm bringing up topics for discussion, I had to remember that that wholeness of who we are is showing up in, in every comment and every decision and every insecurity, right? And so really remembering that has been important um, and remembering that I'm one of those whole people too. And so um, if there are you know other things going on in my life that's impacting how I show, show up at work, being transparent about that and so far as I feel comfortable is important because it then enables other people to bring that fullness of who they are too. And when you recognize the fullness of everyone, you can make better decisions about what the team needs collectively to advance our mission. So um, thinking about the wholeness piece is important. And then I would say the other thing is um, I try to keep it lighthearted as much as possible. I recognize that we are doing heavy work. We're thinking about young people who have been who have not been afforded so many opportunities in the world right who have so much incredible potential at the same time we're thinking about a world that doesn't want us talking about structural racism in schools we're thinking about so many forms of implicit um racism and other forms of oppression like that's a lot to carry and in the midst of that you can still find joy right and if we look at social movements historically, we know that there are moments when communities are coming together, they're laughing, they're um, loving on each other, they're singing songs. And so really making sure that we continue that legacy in our work um, because we need that as people, you know? And so I try to, you know, bring a positive energy. People always joke that I'm smiling a lot. Um, So I tend to do that at work and um, just bringing that positive energy, I think is important, but not at the cost of being inauthentic. Like there are days when I won't be, you know, super happy-go-lucky, right? Um, and that's okay too. But net net, I try to make sure it's uh, an upbeat energy for us. Right. Awesome. Wow. I can only imagine what it's like working on your team. Hopefully, it's all good from everybody's perspective. But I'm sure there's lots of things that they're saying Shawan needs to work on as a leader, as a coach, and um, share that feedback too. That's one thing I do love about my team is that they are. Um, very honest with me about what's what's working well and what we need to change. And that pushes me, you know, as a, as a leader and coach too, to constantly get better because I don't always get it right. I'm certainly not getting it right um, every day. And um, that learning piece of like, it's a journey and it's yeah. okay to constantly be growing is, it's hard for me to take in as a perfectionist, but it's a necessary message for me to remember. Right. Wow. Yeah. It definitely is a journey and it's great that you're open to that feedback. I think that that's a mark of a great leader, right? That when you actively seek out that feedback and you're open to change and you recognize that you're not perfect, I think that that's, in my opinion, a really important uh, quality to have in leadership. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like they say at at Stanford Business School, feedback is a gift, you know? And so we, we take it and and learn from it and keep it moving. That was definitely instilled in us there. I think mm-hmm. even in the moments when feedback can be super painful and and kind of feel like a, a hit to the stomach, 
there's always something to be learned there. Even if you don't agree with maybe the way it was delivered or the entire message, um, there's always something to take away. So, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yep. 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 Lesson learned. Shawan, I want to ask you one final question before we wrap up today. And yeah. the question is, what is your peak mindset? Mm. Mm. My peak mindset is when I am working with other people to think through how to build upon their passions and their strengths and navigate challenges and insecurities that prohibit them from doing so. I get a lot of joy from being in conversations with my team members about how they can do their work well. I love talking to young people about their aspirations and thinking through how they can remove barriers themselves or work with other folks to do that. And I intentionally said, you know, working with people to do this because it's not me coming in and presenting a solution, right? And it's usually not the other person saying, I already have the solution because otherwise they, they wouldn't engage in the conversation, but really talking through it out loud um, is so energizing for me. And the mindset that is coming up as I think through that, that piece is one around, you know, deep listening and problem solving and optimism right and saying like we can figure this out like we can figure out how you can maximize your passions maximize your skill sets work through the tough pieces um, and we will get there and having that um, that presence and thinking about what's possible in the future gets me so 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 energized and then when you actually figure something out um, you kind of just have this giddy feeling inside of you like yeah we we did that together Juan, what a beautiful picture that you've just painted of your peak mindset. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I'm so grateful that you um, you have me on this podcast. It's always, um, you know, rare to have opportunities to reflect like this on the journey. And definitely as you can relate, you know, building your podcast now. And um, there's so much temptation to just go through the hustle and bustle every day. And so to have this space to really think openly about um, where I've been and what's coming up for me and hopefully share an insight that will resonate with somebody is is a blessing that I don't take for granted. So thank you for, for having me. And um, I'm just so excited also that you're you're doing this work and that you are also pursuing your peak mindset, too. Oh, thank you so much, Shawan. No, honestly, the pleasure is mine. You have no idea how thrilled I was when you agreed to be my first guest. <laughs> Um, I, I'm so, so thrilled that you took the time out of your very busy schedule to do this. And I know that there are many listeners out there who have really enjoyed learning about your journey. And, and I am absolutely certain that you've inspired many people out there because I'm definitely leaving this conversation feeling more inspired. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, and thank you to everybody who's listening in too. I know, we're all living full lives and appreciate those who made the time to listen in. Thanks, Shawan. Take care. You too. See ya.